0: Thanks to our friends at The Hollywood Show for their help with this episode of Talking About Cars with Randy Cardoon. See more at HollywoodShow.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and others in the car industry. I'm Randy Cardoon, and this week we get to hear from two car people with different backgrounds. One lives on land near Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and with his pals, love to rescue cars that have been sitting outside in the elements just to see if he can get them to run again. Scott Newstead of the YouTube show Will It Run by Cold War Motors, he will join me. And I have to tell you, once you start watching his show, you have to start watching all his videos because I just started watching and I'm I'm hooked on these things. These are pretty crazy for car people because it's completely different. But first, for those of us of a certain age in the U.S. grew up watching TV, ABC had a show called The Mod Squad, basically young adults working with police as undercover officers who drove around in an inconspicuous 1950 black mercury woody wagon solving crimes. Remember the ABC commercials? They would always come out and say, one black, one white, and one blonde. That phrase will pretty much play into my interview with Michael Cole. You remember Michael. He played Pete Cochran alongside Clarence Williams III, who played Link Hayes, and Peggy Lipton, who played Julie Barnes. Now, back in the day, a lot of these detective shows, they all had cars. We've already interviewed guys like Starsky and Hutch in the 70s. We had, of course, Paul Michael Glazer and, of course, uh, Anthony Fargus as Huggy Bear. We've had them on the show talking about that 1974-ish, 5-ish Ford Torino. Batman had his 66 Batmobile. We've had Burt Ward on the show. And that Merc Wagon from Mod Squad, well, that was basically the equivalent on that show. Until one episode when the car was, well, it was blown up. Remember that? Every car kid watching that went, what? Yeah, amazing. When they blew that thing up, I thought, well, how can they do that? They can't blow that car up. Well, they did blow it up. And I always wondered Why? I caught up with Michael Cole at the Hollywood Show Autograph Event at the L.A. Airport, and uh,
1: got the real story. Well, I started crying, but I <laughs> think it was like the third or fourth year. It got a little bit ridiculous because in this old Woody Mercury was catching Ferraris. <laughs> no, wait a minute, man! This is this is a bit ludicrous, and uh, so we had to we had to get you know talk to some car sponsors, but. The thing about the Woody was that really became part of the cast, and when it came time to get rid of it, this one episode, we were gonna drive it down. We were up on a mountain road, and it was very steep on one side, etc. And uh, it was gonna, something went wrong with the car, and it, we all jumped out—Clarence Peg and I. And the car was supposed to go off the cliff and then roll down, catch on fire, explode, the whole thing. And uh, that made me sad, really, because it was one of the characters of the show. But we had the best stuntmen around. Stunts Unlimited was just kind of starting. Anyway, and they, they, Peggy and I walked up to this hill and so we could see the old... You know, now I'm getting choked up. <laughs> our old friend. blow <laughs> up. And uh, so, anyway, the stunt guys, they brought it around. They come screaming around the corner. And Woody starts to go toward the edge, of the edge of the cliff. And the stunt guys jump out. And Woody stopped. No shot. It absolutely stopped about two feet from going over the ledge. All right, and these guys are really good stunt people, and uh, and so okay, we got to do it again. Now they got the fire trucks and the whole thing down, waiting down there for the Woody to come and blow up, and all. Here they come again, a little bit faster, as fast as the old girl would go, and uh, same thing. They bail out, all the cameras start turning down the hill. Stopped again on its own. Yeah, it didn't didn't want to go. That's what I I looked at Peggy. She looked at me. I could feel her hands. My hands started to sweat. (laughs) 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 Um, I swear to God, They, They did it again. Third time. Third time. And the old girl came around stunt guys jumped out etc cetera, etc cetera, and she just went over the hill very slow and kind of tumbled now it was supposed to roll and everything you know like that just kind of tumbled down only about six to ten feet <laughs> and it was nothing and she did not want to go now the whole crew is getting a little bit uh-oh Maybe we're going to use the Woody again. <laughs> and, uh... So, so we had to push it down into the spot where the firemen had all the stuff set up. and so They doused it in gasoline, etc., etc. And uh, lit it on fire, blew the thing up, which made me cry. And this was our old friend, one of the cast members. And, and uh... As, as, as the flames were getting a little bigger, everybody was still staring at each other, and out of that fire, the horns started. And I said, That's his spirit. That's its soul. The Woody did not want to go. Why did you do this to me? And that's
0: the question that I'm going to ask you to the best of your knowledge, because when that thing went, Everybody probably looked at their TV screens. And if you're a car guy or you grew up as a kid and you were watching the show, you looked at that and went, wh- Why? Why blow that car up? What, do, what was the reason behind it? And how did you find out beforehand? Was it a script read? I mean, when did you find out they were going to do that?
1: Because it really got ridiculous when uh, we would jump in the car and we would catch, a, in the old Woody, we would catch a Ferrari. At about 130 miles an hour, it like, so Aaron's spelling, and we got together and said, yeah. And then we got a Ford, or no, I don't know Ford, but got a car sponsor, and uh, we, we had, in fact it was better, actually, As I don't want to say anything bad about the Woody, because I think it had a spirit, and uh, we got uh, a convertible, a couple of chargers, really good cars, and the, for the shots, like we were in a hurry, we got to run and just jump into the car, not open doors and all that stuff. So it was dramatic in that sense.
0: Who was the sponsor back then? Do you remember? Was it Dodge or what was it? Yeah, I
1: think it was a Dodge. Uh, they they worked fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and they were pretty good at the time, I suppose. Absolutely. Now you're going to make me go watch the old Mod Squad again on uh, wherever I can find it just to see what you were driving.
1: There's nothing <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. It's nope. still all over the world and I, we're lucky. Yeah. We're lucky, but I still every once in a while I can't watch the old reruns or ever anything like that. Do you remember the Woody? I mean,
0: what what did they make any changes to it? Did they put in a different engine or was it just your basic Woody? What what do you remember most about that car when you were driving it?
1: That it was hard to steer. especially on these winding roads and stuff you know no power steering at her no power steering I don't think so and and, uh, we I mostly remember it because it. oh one thing I could never really figure out for me all that show I never surfed but we always had surfboards on the top (laughs) there you are there you
0: go that's right and I would imagine uh Link never served. No, he didn't
1: serve. did serve. He ever drive? He drove the car, though, right? He, he drove the car, but he was not really that good a driver. But we everybody knew that and stuff. So, uh, and mostly, if Clarence drove the car, everybody made sure they were behind the camera. <laughs> no, he, he got. He eventually got there pretty good, really. I see, I
0: see. Okay, well, that's
1: good. Well, he lived in New York. He lived in New York, and he didn't have to. They were either cabs or walking or whatever. What you know, so. about Peggy? Did she ever drive the car? Peggy's driven a lot of cars. I mean, you, you can't be married to Quincy Jones. Well, I mean, it's in the role itself. Oh, not really. I, only if there was something wrong with Clarence or me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> remember if she did or not. Okay,
0: so you have you, this story that you were just telling me is in your book. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the book. The book is... It's, it's called I Played the White Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Michael. I like that. Did you come up with that yourself?
1: Yeah. Because okay. if, Especially if you know somebody would recognize you and whatever. And they say, uh, Michael, uh, 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 I'd say, I played the white guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? And you could get this, I understand, on Amazon.com. It's called uh, I Played the White Guy, Michael Cole, in the book. Was this one of your first
1: really big roles in television? Very much so. Uh, When things started to happen, they really happened fast. Uh, And, you know, as a matter of fact, when I went to see and meet Aaron Spelling, I had no idea who he was or how powerful he was. But the agent, because I'd been doing some theater around town in it, and the agent said, uh, you got to meet this guy Aaron Spelling, he's got an idea for a show. Uh, so I walk into Aaron's office, and I'm sure he has a thousand people there. And I said, well, what what's the name of it? And he said, the Mod Squad. What? The Mod Squad. What the hell is that? He <laughs> said, that's the stupidest. I, I I never heard of a dumber name. Wait a minute, it's about cops? You want me to be a cop undercover and break other young people? I'd be running around with them. I was almost thrown in jail myself a lot of times. And I'm going to bust them and put them in jail. No, 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 forget it. I'm out of here. And Aaron, thank God, jumped up on his desk and said, Michael, Michael, don't go. That's exactly what I want. And that's how I got the job. By telling him that I thought it was stupid and I hope it never got on the air. But he wanted that attitude. (laughs) So when you
0: found out that car was in it, you know, because obviously you were finding out you met Clarence, you met Peggy and all that. Then they said, oh, then you're driving this. What was your reaction?
1: I was glad because when I was growing up, probably you too. A 49 Mercury, not a stage wagon, was really a neat. In fact, James Dean had, a, I think, a 49 Mercury in uh, Rebel Without a Cause. So I said, wait a minute, anything to do with uh, that year Mercury has got to be kind of cool. We'll make something happen with it. What are you doing now, Michael? I did This book. <laughs> 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 Trying to sell this book. And uh, I, I'm really kind of proud of it. I, so, so I tell you something. Where, uh, somebody words started getting around, and had a lot of actor friends in that, and they said, uh, one guy came up to me and said, "I understand you're going to write a book, Michael." So yeah, I've been thinking about it. People have been asked So I got a, I got a question. Why don't you read one first? <laughs> That's Mod Squad's
0: Michael Cole. Remember, he has that book. It's called I Was the White Guy, and it's available on Amazon. Some real behind the scenes stuff from the original TV show, The Mod Squad, which went from 1968 to 1973. Not to be confused with the Claire Danes Omar Epps Mod Squad, the movie from 1999. Up next, here on Talking About Cars Cold War Motors. In the frozen tundra of northern Canada comes a YouTube show featuring Scott Newstead and his pals and his dogs as they save deserted and rusted cars that have already had weeds grown out of them. In fact, sometimes there's a tree growing out of the engine compartment. Yeah, they save them one at a time. Before you think this is a restoration show... Forget about it because it's really not. There are a lot of those around and you could pick all sorts of shows to talk about but this isn't a restoration show. It's a let's see if we can get it to run show with a little bit of a twist. Scott
2: joined me on Skype. It has evolved somewhat but the the original idea came because I was kind of hoarding cars here and I don't have a tractor or a four-wheel drive uh, and when they came time to move them it was kind of a pain so i thought um it would just be easier to move them around if they would pull themselves around because then you could just get in and put a battery in it and move it out of the way that way and so it started with just being the easiest way to move the cars was to get them running and then from there i just thought you know this is actually kind of fun because the challenge then became can you get it running And you're not allowed to, like, leave the yard or buy any parts or anything. Can you actually make this thing run without spending any amount of, and not even really much time? So, a
0: zero dollar budget.
2: Combine that with uh, trying to keep the cars interesting. Try to keep them all between, like, post-war and the early 60s. If the cars were interesting and the the challenge was a little different, I mean, there's a lot of uh, great mechanics out there. and A lot of them have YouTube channels, but... Uh, I thought the angle that might be interesting would be, can you do it with uh, literally a budget of zero? And then it became about repairing rather than buying parts. And uh, so that was how it started. And I wasn't even going to drive them at first. I thought the will it run thing would be like a 45 second video of just literally pouring a bunch of gas down a carburetor and putting seven batteries to it and just see what happened. then well then it became a little more than that eventually we just i thought it looked a lot better especially on video to see the cars in motion and i have a fairly big yard here so i could drive them around a bit without uh without having to really put the general public at too much risk uh, because the show is not called will it stop (laughs) uh, we had to uh i've made some concessions over the years to at least putting a kill switch in the cars because we had a couple of runaways and the 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 fuel feed we used uh, gravity fuel feeds so if you had a real problem uh there was really like no way to shut the cars off and there was no way to stop them so i've i've uh, taken to running a couple of wires that i can disconnect in the car and uh and then, if the car is a stick shift, we try. Most of these old cars are standard shifts. So, if you kill the ignition, they'll stop in a reasonable length of time. And and that's uh, that, and not leaving the yard has made it viable.
0: Ah, I don't remember seeing the episode where the car wouldn't stop.
2: Uh, well, yeah, I edited some of that. <laughs> I had one almost burned down because we were under some time constraint and didn't have time to go through the carburetor float properly and it flooded and uh, the gas was coming out the overflow on the carburetor and dripping down onto the exhaust manifold mm-hmm. and uh, luckily it all boiled off and didn't uh, didn't ignite but that would have been the end of that car and so i've been a little more careful lately i've had i've had them run off the front of trailers and stuff uh, my 58 plymouth ran right off the front of the trailer and landed on the hitch and put a huge dent in the oil pan, uh, but somehow didn't wreck it. It's, it's okay. The oil pan's pretty badly dented, but you know, and I wonder sometimes if I filmed the, those things, that would be your, you know, everybody's looking for the million view video and, uh, usually somebody has to get hurt for those to happen. So we're just going to carry on in the background, I guess.
0: Well, there was that one with the 57 Plaza. I think it was the Plymouth yeah. and uh, the four door where you were trying to get it started and all of a sudden yeah. flames were like, you know, the car wasn't starting, but boy, that was a good flame show.
2: Oh, that, yeah. I forget. I think somebody had the the plug wires all on backwards when I bought the car and we didn't double check that. And I think we were towing it around and it was just fire shooting out of it. Yeah. It <laughs> was not a very good, it was not a proud moment in automobile history there, but there aren't many
0: flames around. flames flying out of the car that's youtube gold my friend
2: yeah i uh i've had to, a couple of go sideways but usually i had one or two cars that we got halfway through filming that uh i realized were just not going to run
0: do i assume about you then since you have such big amount of land up there in in, in alberta that you're a farmer or what's your background and how did you kind of get into this
2: no, I've just been obsessed with cars since I was a kid. I don't know why. Just utterly bent in the head. I, I just—that's all I've ever cared about from as long as I can remember. From you know the little toys all the way, building models all the way through my youth. You know, uh, I still have them all. Uh, I kept all that. My dad wasn't into cars really. I mean, he took care of his cars, and he he always did his own work. So I'd always you know be happy to hand him wrenches, as you say. But he wasn't a car guy. Never really was a big part of his thought process. Uh, he liked reliable cars. He liked basic cars, and and so that is one aspect of where it came from, which was you do it yourself because you don't want to pay somebody to do something you can do yourself. And that was that was his attitude. He got me into doing you know do your own work do your own maintenance and and he would do his own body work because in canada the cars will rust and you know he would pack the bondo in the holes behind the wheels and you know little spray cans from the store and, and and that was just as soon as we did that i was just obsessed you know i was just obsessed with body work and my folks didn't want me to to take auto body go to university and get a degree and all this and I just wouldn't stop, you know, I painted everything, I took bicycles apart, and we'd flip bikes in the newspaper, And but they finally relented and let me buy a car when I was 16, and I immediately took it all apart.
0: What was it?
2: It was a 69 Dart. Funny because my dad had a 69 Dart, and so when, but it was a four-door with a slant six, and he kept it in very nice shape, so I was still driving it when I got to high school. And then, so when I got to buy my own car, there was a 63 Fairlane Sport Coupe for sale locally. And there was, uh, but I think they wanted like 600 bucks for it, which was just insane. Uh, so I found this dart resting on a guy's front lawn and he sold to me for a buck and a quarter. And uh, it was a 318 two-door hardtop.
0: A, a, a buck and a quarter, meaning a literal buck and a
2: quarter so, or 125? So, 125, 125. Oh, okay, yeah. good, good. Yeah. It was a V8 two-door hardtop. It wasn't a swinger, but it was equipped like one. It had the rubber floors and uh, column shift automatic. But the transmission was shot, and it was rusted. It was terrible, terrible shape. But I was—I uh, didn't care. I just wanted to do bodywork, right? So I dragged it home and spent. Uh, I think it was the summer of grade eleven. I spent the whole summer just. Mixing up Bondo and fiberglass in the driveway, you know, I made a mess of it. But I actually, that was the first car I painted. I painted it myself. Um, and, you know, it, it, looked, it looked okay. I mean, for a high school car, it was it was one color and there was no holes in it. Didn't know anything about getting a car straight. I, did, I just figured if the holes were covered, you are good, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it wasn't something I would be very happy to drive today. But yeah. I bought the specifically because I want to collect cars.
0: How much acreage do you have out there?
2: Oh, well, it's about four and a half acres. And it's kind of long so that the, the driveway from the back to the front is, you know, it's almost a quarter of a mile. and the, the, It's not very wide, but that's okay. I mean. And so all the shots that you see of all these derelict cars are more or less shot uh, in my yard unless the car is good enough. Some of them we've even put brakes together and, and taken them around the block, but not very not very often.
0: Is that was, Francine in the background playing with a ball?
2: Oh, is that making too much noise? <laughs> half, not half, a
0: half. lot of noise, but just noticeable. Oh, sure, yeah, she just won't stop. Francine is on the deck.
2: Yeah, she, uh, she won't stop playing ball. She just keeps dropping it right in front of
0: me. No, I completely get it. I completely no. get it. I assume there's no uh, Mrs. Newstead around who... Ma- uh, to look at your cars and go, wow, I'm so happy that they're all around here. <laughs>
2: not currently, no. Uh, I was I was married to a lovely girl, and it didn't work out. Certainly the real, uh, we can call it a collection, didn't really get rolling until I found myself single again and not having to ask. Aha, uh-huh. okay. When I was married, we had an agreement that they would not be outside. So I could only buy as many cars as I could keep inside after that was no longer a a stop, then it really got rolling after that. And then I realized that what I wanted to do was actually create kind of a a full-scale diorama of an abandoned used car lot, which as a kid I always fantasized that I would stumble into this abandoned car lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and wouldn't that be something if these cars had all been just walked away from in 1968 or whatever and and they were not good then and then you were just to stumble onto this you know 50 years later so that's kind of you know people i get sometimes what are you doing with all these cars well that's kind of it so it's just a toy box right and you move them around and you kind of put different wheels on them but you don't have all the hassles of keeping them all roadworthy. a lot of them are parts but even your parts cars if you put wheels and tires on them and get them running uh they're more or less presentable and, and they're very typical of the cars that people in this part of the world drove uh, i think people ask sometimes like why do you have so many you know bottom feeder models of six cylinder cars well that's what people in western canada bought you know it was sensible people and frugal people and farmers and these are the cars that reflect that And some of the
0: ones you're talking about, for example, uh, we'd see you going through uh, bodies. You'd see, let's say, instead of a Fury 3 or a a, um, high-performance 440-whatever, you have Fury 1s or Fury 2s back from the late 60s and early 70s. So it's, you know, the lower key, you didn't have a lot of uh, chrome-on-the-side models.
2: Right, yeah uh just the more sensible models uh it's not that the other ones don't exist but a lot of this has just been whatever has come along uh a lot of the cars are sourced within 10 miles of the house here and oh. uh, i've gone as far as calgary uh for some of the harder to get ones the nashes and packards are a little harder to find so
0: how far away is calgary from you
2: it's 200 miles from here
0: okay so One of the things you need to know about Scott is one day uh, he went to a junkyard, and this is the one where you were towing that Volvo with the unusual hardtop, I guess, what it was. I couldn't really tell. So he's going through, and he's looking at these cars, and he's showing them to the uh, viewers, and you could see this on YouTube. And the thing that just got me was right in the middle of it. You start pointing out, the oh, well, that used to be my car, and that used to be, and it seemed every other car you walked by used to be your car.
2: There's way closer records where I could just drop that stuff off, and they'll just sandwich it, and and I would actually get some cash, but then it's gone. So I think there is one stop past this place. You know, like this place is kind of a last chance motel, but there's actually one past here, which is that wrecking yard where... Uh, I mean, he makes no effort to, to preserve the cars, but at least he doesn't crush them. So there are still parts available. And so that's why they end up out there. And uh, yeah, the ones that I've donated to him, some of them were when I was married and didn't have uh, the carte blanche to fill up the yard that I have now. So
0: <laughs> Fill up the yard. Okay, okay, let me let me get into some numbers here. On your property, as it stands this moment... How many cars do you
2: have right now? Uh, Well, I couldn't say exactly. It's more than 50 and less than, say, 65.
0: More than 50 and less than 65.
2: Yeah, I would say somewhere in there.
0: Now, they're not all American cars either. I mean, a lot of them are, but I I remember you guys uh, were looking at some other things. You have one of your biggest uh, episodes, I believe, was a Citroen?
2: No, that's right. Yeah, I have a... I have a real affection for Citroen cars, and uh, something that came about much later in my life, because certainly as kids, my brother and I would just, we hated them, you know, (laughs) there were very few people in in a town like Edmonton, which is, you know, it's a pretty pickup trucks and and Biscaynes, and, you know, and when you'd see a Citroen go by, we'd be like, what kind of a freak would own one of those, you know? (laughs) Now it's me, you know. Now I actually have bought, because there were so few of them sold here, I actually have some of the cars that I remember seeing as a kid. In some ways, it's like drugs that when you're addicted to it for so long, eventually it takes something pretty weird to get you going, you know? Like And so, I mean, the, the Citroens were like where you end up when you've done everything else, I guess, you know? And, and, and they're a real challenge because. Uh, You know, most of the other cars, the post-war American cars, they are more or less the same principles. And once you can work on one, you know, one... They all, for instance, use the same Bendix brakes. And you're not learning much after doing 600 sets of of those brakes. Whereas the Citroen brakes are a completely different animal. and, and, And the rest of the car is like that too. And I've always bought my car's... For aesthetic reasons like I never I still don't care about the performance of the cars I, I only I buy them for what they look like and uh, if the engine is there and it moves the car around that's good enough and I have some friends with the go-fast sickness and that's a very expensive thing hey like when you start trying to go fast it just gets so expensive because you're breaking everything and and then when you go fast well, it's not fast enough so at least I didn't get that because uh, that is that, I mean, one go fast car would suck up the budget of five of my cars. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just, now that I have the room, I just prefer to, to spend it, uh, you know, buying cars that I like to look of.
0: We're talking and, uh, to, uh, Scott Newstead from Cold War Motors. It's a video you can see on YouTube, actually not one. You've got a whole bunch of them now. Any idea how many?
2: Somewhere over 200, I think.
0: That's going to take a lot of binging for me to catch up on all your videos. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them you can skip, yeah. (laughs) Do you ever sell them? I mean, you'll you'll sit there and you'll go out to some, and for example, again, just to show you that I've been catching up on your videos, you had that Fargo truck, which basically we down here in the lower 48 know as the Dodge, and so it's basically a Dodge truck from the 60s and 70s, and they called them Fargos up in, in Canada. You dug one out, literally dug one out because it was covered in weeds and all that. You shined it up a little bit. Do you ever sell these? Do you fix them up to sell or do you just fix them up to look nice and then park them?
2: Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't buy them with the intention of selling. I try not to overpay. I'll tell you the ones that I will sell are stuff that should be put back together that I'm not going to have time to do. Uh, Like the real derelicts that are just kind of decorations. I mean, there's no point in selling them because I enjoy them more than they're worth. But for instance, I had... Uh, a 53 ford two-door sedan that i got at a reasonable price and we dragged it back here and got it running and made a pretty fun video out of it and and drove the car around and it was actually a nice original very savable car but my list of personal projects right now is so massive that i i had to be realistic and say that i'm never going to build this car like i'm never putting this car back with plates on it but somebody should and then Uh, somebody inquired through, through YouTube, actually, that they were really keen on the car. And I thought, well, it all seems to line up where it really literally makes the most sense to send the car along to somebody who has the intention of putting it back on the road if I don't. And, uh, so those are the ones I'll sell. If it's something, uh, like we are working on a 51 Bel Air right now, uh, that's a very special car. Uh, especially for this place and for the the, this part of the world. Uh, You didn't see a lot of that. It's not a a 150 four-door, right? It's a Bel Air two-door hardtop, special car in really decent condition. And if I'm not going to put that car back on the road, uh, which I would be doing if I wasn't driving the Fraser already, this Bel Air would be going back on the road. I wish I had the thing because I never would have fixed up the Fraser. This is a, actually a good-looking car. The Fraser is not.
0: What do you do for a regular job?
2: Uh, well, mostly restorations for customers. I quit my desk job about 15 years ago because it was just too much commuting and having to get up early and all that. So. I just decided that since I always had enough people asking me to work on their cars that I would just try and do that from home. So that's what I did. Uh, It worked out. I'm at the point now where enough of my friends have been successful enough that they want cars. What I do for a living and what I do for fun are almost exactly the same thing. And I have up until this point not recorded or put a lot of customer stuff on YouTube just because I try to keep the YouTube stuff just kind of goofy and 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 uh, more for fun and uh, less about actually like there's serious restoration shows out there covering the actual serious restorations. I mean, we always had more fun just with the goofing off with the junk because uh, I thought I realized that the restorations, you know, a it's a job and b you know you can spend four hours putting on one piece of trim that holds the carpet down right right to make for thrilling video whereas the leaning on stuff with your friends getting drunk combines (laughs) you know all the best stuff of an old car project which is (laughs) when you drag it home that's fun right your friends they all come over and laugh at your piece of junk right and uh you know they're cleaning it up kind of get it from total junk to like clean junk and then picking the wheels and tires. That's fun, right? Sure. and And hearing it run and for the first time and the first drive and the rest of it is tedious. So you just take those things. So you take it from the junkyard, put wheels on it, wash it up, get it running and drive it up down your driveway. That's the, that's the, the very best two hours of the entire hobby and you just skip all the rest all so the upholstery carpet and the tedious setup. nobody wants to watch that
0: no i get
2: and, it uh, you know so and having done restorations for myself and my friends uh and we all agree that when you get to the end of it and you're finished it you're lucky if you even like the car <laughs> you know, we've got some multi-thousand hour jobs and by the time you're finished the thing you you know i've done it for customers and myself spent a solid year on any one single car by the time it's done i just want it out of here i don't even want to look at it yeah. you know the ones that we do for laughs that i put on youtube well i mean those are those are fun because i mean the nice ones i don't even let my friends in the room much less somebody lean on it by accident like and it also is a huge liability sure car you have that much time into if it gets chipped or frankers jumps on the side of it like you got a real problem so it That is not, uh, I mean, it's rewarding to see it finish and say, okay, that was not something everybody could do that. And I think I can be proud of that. But it's also, it's a very nerve wracking thing until it leaves my yard. I just want, you know, I just don't want anything even near it. Well, okay,
0: occasionally I notice that you guys will will put the cars and work on the cars, and occasionally have a beer among you guys. And I'm thinking, did you ever think of uh, sponsorship possibilities? Get uh, Molson or something like that to go ahead and sponsor your uh, YouTube show.
2: Well, i I have not. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if, if, if beer sponsorship of car programs is necessarily a good. I don't. I actually don't drink. I used to be a kind of a championship drinker, and I actually quit. Uh, But I don't care about the other guys. They can drink all they want.
0: Right. Well, good for you. That's probably a smart thing to
2: do. (laughs) I, uh... It was taking up too much of the time away from the car. So, so you said you had
0: somewhere between 50 and 65 cars. Nor- yeah. a lo- among the questions we ask our our, our guests, for example, uh, we always ask them, you know, what's in your garage? We don't have that much time to go through your garage and everything else outside. What's your top three cars that you have that you really want to, that are top of your list when it comes to, okay, I want to work on these cars. You said you drive around a Frazier.
2: Oh, for... Oh, the of the cars you have. Currently owned that are the most important? Yeah. Um, the, the SM, I think, for sure. The Citroen. Uh, yeah, that is a car that is so far removed from where I come from, that it's like being handed, uh, like an F4 Phantom or something to drive around. It's, uh, it's a car that is, uh, just so different and so far beyond all the other cars. That was a, it was basically a rich person's car. And for a guy like me who like has one pair of shoes for his car to be an SM, I think is really, it's kind of, that's what's fun in it for me is that I'm going to take this car that, that you know, really, it's a car that is a difficult car to own if you do all of your own work and you don't have any money. And that's what I think makes the SM a real challenge. And to just hop in it with my coveralls on and go get some chips is really the reward <laughs> there for me is uh, to be having to have a car that is really should be not a car that you should be able to have. And I think that one. Probably one of the nicest cars, if not the nicest car I'll ever own. Uh, I did drive it a little bit before I took it apart, and I I was so in love with it. By the time I got to the end of my driveway, I couldn't believe what an amazing car it was.
0: There is a video on that, by the way, on YouTube,
2: uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, i have started a series on the car as we take it apart and go through it, and uh, okay, I mean, it's not a total basket case, but it is a very neglected car.
0: Well, that's one. That's the Citroen. What What's the number two uh, car on your list?
2: The Roadster that I'm making. We're doing a scratch-built car, and I never really got too heavily into video games, but there was one many years ago called Mafia, where I don't know if you ever saw this. Video game, but it was just beautifully rendered, and and part of the game was that you had this, you had to win an automobile race, and it all took place in the 1930s, and uh, it was a pretty, you know, immersive uh, game, and you had to drive this this open wheel Grand Prix car and somehow win this race, and I just became obsessed with this, and I practiced this over and over and over again, and I, I actually ended up playing the game so much that. I said to myself, you know, you could have just built this car by now and you could be just doing this for real. (laughs) So I kind of, and I turned off the game and I was like, okay, then that's what we're going to do. And I, I did some napkin sketches of what I thought would be a fun car and just went outside and started building it. And in keeping and to keep the rules simple, the rules would be that it would have to be built out of whatever was in my yard and budget was zero. But it had to look like a, a Grand Prix race car when I was finished. And so I'm, I'm more than half finished it. And uh, so that is a that is another series that we're doing on YouTube. Okay. And, and so that is important to get it done because I'd like to, when somebody says, do you know anything about cars? You say, well, I, I built that one. And it's fun when people say, oh, well, what's the frame from? And what's the body from? And what you can just say, uh, it's just all from thin air. I mean, the whole thing. Has to be built literally from scratch, uh, except for the axles and the engine. The rest of it is uh, is scratch built. So
0: that sounds a, expensive.
2: Uh, no, I, I literally have less than a thousand dollars into it.
0: Mm, uh, okay,
2: but it's made out of old Ford truck, farm truck parts, and uh, and the engine was uh, one of the fellows that's in our videos. The gentleman at the end of the videos. It says same old shit all the time. Yes, he uh, donated. A, uh, a his old water truck to the project and he has uh <clears throat> he bet me five bucks that i would never and nothing would ever come of it so that is what keeps me motivated on that car is that uh, i i want my five dollars off of tom <laughs> and, uh, and i want to be able to say that my grand prix car has a, an old water truck engine in it and that so, that
0: is kind of cool actually okay yeah. so
2: what's <laughs> the th- what's the third car I have a really nice original Paint 59 Fury Tudor hardtop. The story was that a friend of mine was at one of those big auctions in the States where they have these types of cars. And uh, he texted me from there and he said, oh, I'm looking at uh, such and such a car. Would you have a look on the website and tell me what you think? And I realize now that I think that he was he was playing me the whole time as I go back over this story. but it was a it was a lincoln or something so i typed in whatever the auction was and i'm going through the all the cars on the on the thing that are for sale and i find the one he's looking at and i'm like okay when well, i kind of gave him my impression it was an older restoration that was decent and drivable but you know it was not a, the most desirable year it was a 48 uh, continental mm-hmm. not the 41 that is really the special one but it was a <laughs> post-war decent car but not a real blue chip car so i kind of gave him and he's like okay well whatever uh what uh what else do you see on there you know so i started flipping through the rest of the cars and i'm like oh there's a bentley continental turbo that's the car you should probably have and and, and then i flipped down and there was this 59 plymouth fury it was yellow and it was a two-door well and it was a hard top two-door and it was original paint fifty thousand mile car like just a proverbial old granny car and i said oh well this is the best car you should buy this and knowing that he doesn't care about those kinds of cars he likes the muscle cars and he's got a nice uh, <clears throat> a torino that i restored for him years ago and a few of the big block Ford uh stuff that's that's his kind of thing <clears throat> so i didn't think anything of it and uh and then uh, i went over to his house some weeks later and it was in the garage this 59 fury oh, i was wow. like oh this car that's fantastic and i took all these pictures of it and i sent the pictures to my friends and look what Mark bought, this is amazing, 59 Fury, and, I mean, it's really something, 54,000 miles, and old lady car from the, earth. like, the, the lady's husband died in 1971 or something, and the car sat in the garage, and it was dry, and it was nice, even in 71, it would have been considered a pretty nice example, and so Mark bought it, and after I was done taking pictures of it all and everything and telling my friends how awesome it was, he's like, oh, I bought that for you, just take it home. Oh, so, Wow. Like, well... How I, cool is that? Right? Yeah, so it was kind of fun for me. I said, well, I, I can't, you know, obviously I can't accept uh, something like that. I said, I could never even afford it like this because uh, all the cars I buy are like $300 junk and then, you know, 12 years later, you, you're finished fixing it. So he, <laughs> but he's like, no, I, I bought it and, and I knew, I believed him that he bought it for me because I know he doesn't really care about those kinds of cars. And so, uh, i was like okay well i said and and he had a 69 cougar that he had bought at an auction a couple of years earlier uh, xr7 with the 428 and you know uh, a pretty special car but it had been painted the wrong color probably to get a few extra bucks at an auction you know guys will take a car that's you know brown or whatever and they'll paint it like bright yellow to get it you know to get more auction fever right, going.
0: Right. right
2: so this that had happened to this car it was a very nice uh, car, but it was painted the wrong color, and it had a wing on the back, you know, and a few things that we were both kind of like, eh, I don't know. It's too bad about that, you know. And, and he's like, well, why don't you paint it f- for me? Uh, and I had always said no, because you don't want to open a can of worms. Once you open, you know, and I had talked myself out of that work multiple times because he was like, no, I want it back the original color. And I'm like, oh, man, but you just, you know, I said, that's just going to take this from a an easy money maker to a money loser car like as soon as you start painting a car you're going to lose money anybody knows uh, and so because I had refused multiple times to paint this car I think he figured out a way to literally make me an offer I couldn't refuse which is, uh the 59 purity. and so that is actually now it's a kind of a fun story and now you know, and I'm not letting myself drive the car until his Cougar is done. It's been in my shop for a year and a half, and I'm I completely gutted the car and I'm painting it for him because that's the deal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that just means that that has to be done in my spare time because, of course, I can't take any money. He's prepaid, so. That's
0: Scott Newstead of Will It Run the Cold War Motors videos on YouTube. Now, there is actually a second half of that conversation I had with Scott, and I'll have that on a later talking about cars. Hey, thanks for listening, and please share our show on social media. Subscribe. It's absolutely free. And all you have to do is leave a comment, and if you're on iTunes, you could rate us. 5.0 is really a good rating. Uh, Throw that on there. Thank you in advance for helping our podcast grow. Our website is TalkingAboutCars.net. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars. Thanks to our friends at The Hollywood Show for their help with this episode of Talking About Cars with Randy Cardoon. See more at HollywoodShow.com.